Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host and real boy, Mr. Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you doing? I'm swell. Well, that's great. And folks, if you'd like to find us, we're both on Twitter. Uh, She's at Andy Redwine, and I'm at Larry Brenner 6 Or you can join the conversation on our Facebook fan page, Once Upon a Disney podcast page. Uh, We're happy to have you there. Uh, We have a guest star today, Andy. We do have a guest star. I always love that. Every time we say we have a guest star, I always think about um, Kermit on The Muppet Show. When he says to introduce our guest star, I always think of that. So I get to be Kermit today. This man is someone who I worked with side by side for over a decade, working on film and commercial projects. He's the director of the award-winning feature film Paradise Recovered. And now he's the film production manager for this wonderful nonprofit, Feed the Children, Mr. Storm Wood. Hey, Storm. Hey, how are you guys? I'm really excited to be joining you today. So I'm so glad you're here. It's like old home week. It's cool. Yeah, thank, thank you for inviting me. Of course. So when we were in pre-production, Storm, you said that Pinocchio fascinates you. And I'm just really curious if you can kind of share with us, what is it that fascinates you about this film? Well, I have some history with this film. Uh, and what, fascina- what fascinates me the most is, is that it's a horror film, um, in my opinion, and, and that uh, it's a Disney movie that when I saw it as a child, really, really scared scared me like a lot. <laughs> and I, I have vivid memories of being in the theater watching uh, this movie, especially during the Coachman uh, Pleasure Island sequence. And it it really, uh, I felt like the walls were closing in on me. Oh, man. It, it was really a scary film. And, you know, now as a as an adult, uh, I, I, I mustered the courage to revisit the film. <laughs> maybe you guys can help me deal with some of this. Uh, on, on some of this, I'll, I'll maybe kind of be the patient sitting on the uh, on the couch. <laughs> sure. And we, uh, we are a full service podcast. <laughs> but but what really fascinates me when when I watched it again is that the horror, like the supernatural element of the horror that's happening in this movie, is being uh, orchestrated or coming from the most powerful good character i feel like that this blue fairy is sort of pulling the strings if you will to sort of make all these things happen so that pinocchio can become a real boy pulling the strings well, we i see what you did there that, to be sure <laughs> yeah uh, so a couple of things that i noticed i did a little research on this movie and um this is from a so in 1940 this movie is very this book is very well known and in, in fact, it's the most uh, published children's book uh, internationally. Like everybody has read Pinocchio. So this is a, a movie that is going to, I mean, it's going to help Disney in the European market because people are going to want to see it. And um, it's the second animated feature. Obviously, it's three years after Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, the film is supervised by two main directors with the separate sequences are directed by five different animators. So again, we have, it creates this sort of God's eye view that we get to see because we spend time with this character and then we spend time with this character. So that kind of disjointedness or it feels a little disjointed sometimes, or maybe we're spending t- time in certain places, but I think it's part of that. Um, 
That's, you know, you know, I believe that, um, whether it's true or not. And uh, Pinocchio means pine or wood eye. So Woody from Toy Story is interesting because he's a little like Pinocchio and that he's a toy that comes to life. And I've always wondered if that was a coincidence or a nod to the uh, 1940 film that his name is Woody. I don't I don't think so. But, you know, even more so more so than Woody, Buzz is a lot like Pinocchio. Oh, sure. That Buzz thinks he is a real boy. Right. Um, and actually has to learn he's just a child's toy. Right. Yeah. He has the reverse Pinocchio journey. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. when I was like that, I was like, oh, like Woody from Toy Story. Oh, my gosh. That's cool. Well, anyway, that's kind of neat. Yeah. I just wanted to add that this movie is beautiful. Like the hand drawing in this movie from 1940 is really, uh, especially the water sequence, like that, that oh, monster sequence with all the, the waves. And the I, I just was really blown away by the, the quality of the animation in this film. Absolutely. And I know it's so time consuming to create films like this, but... But it's magical, the amount of oh. effort. Uh, I felt the same way when we watched Snow White and the same way when we watched Sleeping Beauty, that that knowing that every single frame of this was hand-drawn painstakingly. Uh, like I, I love a lot of animation now, but it's never as magical to me as these early Disney animated films. Oh, never, absolutely. ever, ever. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, all of them and all of the, um, you know, every cell is is hand-colored. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. It really is incredible. Yeah. So, Storm, every week uh, we start off uh, looking at the movie. And the first question that we ask is the first question from the Jewish holiday of Passover, the Manish Tanah. Why is this night different from any other night? And what I always say is the answer to this, I'm not always looking for steak. Sometimes I'm looking for a hamburger off the 99 cent meal. So even though I've given it this big buildup, you know, like you can give me a really simple answer and that may very well be, you know, just fine. Um, the Manish Tanat is sometimes the same as the inciting incident of the movie, but it isn't always. And so when I ask the Manish Tanat today, uh, I'm going to say, you know, Geppetto has been living his life with his cat and his fish and his carvings for a very long time. Why is tonight the night? Why is this the night that's different from all others? I think, um, I love that, uh, The how do you say it again? Manish Tana? Manish Tana. When I'm listening to the podcast, this is one of my favorite uh segments. I, I love Aww. this idea of yours. Um, so when I thought about that for this movie, like I come back to the song a lot, uh, When You Wish Upon a Star, and I mm -hmm. feel like the stars are aligned at this moment, right? Jiminy Cricket has shown up, Pinocchio has just been finished, and somehow Geppetto has earned all the enough goodwill. And so that star is there in the sky, and I feel like so the simple answer, I guess, is he just finished Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket just got there. But I feel like it's it's all these things are perfectly aligned and the Blue Fairy knows this is the moment, you know, that this this has to all, you know, be set in motion. Well, and Jiminy Cricket shows up there because um, it, it's the only house with the light on that in is the right. entire well, village. And so he's looking for some respite and... He's like, oh, there must be a fire. Oh, there, and of course that hopping, of course, to the, uh, you know, what an incredible little camera move there, um, it is where funny. we get to really see things from from Jiminy's point of view. 
And the gags are lighthearted and all of that. And we get to see, again, I, I'm with Storm. I On this night, Geppetto's finished the wooden puppet and he almost looks alive, right? Yeah, I, there's a lot of, for me, uh, Christian mythology in this I, in this opening night. And I, I don't mean mythology in like, in a disparaging sense, but the elements of this evening are drawn from, you know, the story of the birth of baby Jesus, right? Oh, sure. Right. Uh, we, ha- we, ha- we sort of have Jiminy coming as sort of like the wise man coming into to, to witness the birth, right? There's this, there's the light that draws him there. There's the star up in the sky. Right, right. Uh, it's a virgin birth, right? right. Sure. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's it's all it's all kind of there. There's just something special, something signified in in the in the evening. The one thing that I would say is all of these things are true. Um, and I don't think there's an answer to the question I'm about to ask. But if these things had, you know, was Ge- is there something about Geppetto that's different today than there was maybe yesterday? And there's no way for us to answer that question. Um, like we, I don't know that there's anything I could, I would love to, I would love to be able to point to, ah, here is the thing. Here is the thing that, um, Geppetto has done, which has earned him this opportunity. Uh, but, I, but I guess the answer is this is the time Geppetto has wished it the hardest. Yeah. Right? I'm, yeah, I think so. I mean, the blue fairy comes and says that he's given so much that he deserves to have his wish come true. I wish we could see what he's given. I wish we could see a little more of Geppetto's character. We know that he's obviously been carving and creating all these things, but we don't really see him interacting, interacting with people or, you know, villagers or what's his, you know, what's his moment there. So that would be kind of fun to see, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's take a look, a look at the plot of Pinocchio uh, and break it down a little bit. Um, so first thing that we ask is in this, in this movie, what is the inciting incident? What is the event? So like the first few minutes of almost any movie are exposition. We learn about the world of the movie. We learn about some of the characters and then there's the inciting incident. There's the moment that actually kicks off the movie proper and puts us on an adventure. Right, right, right. What do you think? What do you guys think about the inciting incident? I think it's funny to me. I think the inciting incident is going to school. So I think that a big thing in this movie is that you need to go to school. Um, and and so it's his first day alive and he gets like kicked out the door to go to school. So what what could possibly, you know, go wrong? But uh, it's for me that that was what I I came up with is I just think this idea of him like leaving the house to go to school is the inciting incident. Yeah, yeah that- I, I have that as one of my answers here, Storm. And when I say one of my answers, uh, if I was doing this as a quiz, there's like a bunch that I would take. Um, is that you know normally you would say a character being born is is backstory, and even though Pinocchio's right. birth is unusual, um, you know, man having a child is not enough to like start your story. The adventure begins when Pinocchio strays from the path. Right. Um, the other place that I might look at as the inciting incident um, is when Jiminy accepts the call to adventure to be Pinocchio's conscience. That's, right? That was in my um, notes. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. That was, well, you want to talk about it instead of me, Andy? I talk too much. 
<laughs> no, I think that's it. I think when Jiminy sits down, he says, all right, this is how it is. And this, you know, he sits on his matchbox. It's not his soapbox, right? Because he's too, he's too small for a soapbox, but he gets a matchbox and he just immediately starts preaching to him about here's, yeah. here, here are things about temptation and this is that. And it's why, why, why? Because he's dealing with this complete uh, tabula rasa of a character who really doesn't know anything he's talking. I mean, he doesn't know what he's talking about. So Jiminy decides to take the role, sees his role uh, as more of a preacher than actually being a, you know, a soulmate conscience, I think. Doesn't he, yeah. doesn't Jiminy also comment though, like he forgot about Pinocchio, like almost immediately he says something like, oh, there you are, I forgot about you, right after Jiminy he becomes his conscience. terrible at this job. Yeah. Yeah. He is a terrible conscience. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't get He's over what Yeah, oh yeah. Loses it. Like one of the things that struck me so much about this is what a poor job Jiminy does <laughs> at, at his one task. And it's not that hard a task. He's literally supposed to just hang out with Pinocchio. But well, and the irony, but, right, is that he's been he's been pre he just got off this you know, preaching spiel is like, you know, here's how you do it. And you have to, you know, avoid temptation and this, and he can't even be on time his first day on the job. <laughs> he oversleeps. <laughs> right. Give me five more minutes. Yeah, exactly. Immediately so. succumbs to temptation. Ah, he's too comfortable. He hadn't been comfortable in a while, maybe. All right. And so then we have a series of events of events that lead to, that we would consider the rising action. And in this particular movie, it's a little trickier to do than we would do in a normal movie because this movie is, I think, more than almost any other movie we've done so far, arranged episodically. There's yeah, a number, sure. there's there's chapters to this, and the chapters have their own little resolution points. And if you were to break this movie up into, I think, probably uh, four separate mini TV episodes, you could make like a little mini series, and each one would feel more or less self-contained. Right. Uh, so... We have Pinocchio go, has his encounters with Honest John and Gideon, which lead him to Stromboli. Mm -hmm. That's a chapter. And then the next chapter is him with the coachman and going to Pleasure Island. That's a chapter. And then we've got a chapter where he, he goes to seek out Geppetto and Monstro. Where would you say the climax of this movie, which is where everything is at its emotional high point, where 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 you know, if we were to say good is going to fight evil or a character is going to face his demons and come out the other side, where would you guys point to the climax being? Right, thanks, Storm. Well, well for me, it's a little bit, it, it's a little bit tough. Like the, the absolute peak of all action in the movie, like, but like you said, the chapter of Monstro like peaks when Pinocchio decides like he's not going to let Geppetto die. He's going to, save him so he's willing to risk his life so i feel like that's a big climax where the absolute peak of all the action in the movie is but when he resolves to go save geppetto uh from the whale that is you know but that's the end of or the beginning of that you know monstro chapter so i feel like the real climax of all the action is that moment towards the end when he decides to stand uh, to to basically sacrifice himself, but I don't know if that's the. Uh, I I I feel like when he resolves to do that and like 
he doesn't even think about it. He just marches off to save Geppetto. That is a climactic or shift for him. It's his moment of truth. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And another way of thinking about the the climax is the moment of truth. The moment has arrived, and you know here here it is. Pinocchio is is being told by his father, "Let me drown as long as you live. That's what's important." Right. Um. And Pinocchio, for the first time, does not make the selfish choice. Makes the selfless choice, um, and thus proves that he's worthy of being transformed into a good boy. When he isn't even thinking of, when that's not even on his radar. Right. He, the, the stakes are highest at this point. Right. Even though the movie may not be at its scariest at this point. Uh, but the stakes are life and death. Uh, right. So I would agree with you. I think that absolutely is the climax. And the stakes I would have been raised. If someone has a different answer, I'd accept it. But. Well, do you have a different one? Answer, no, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I'm with you guys too. But this, the, the thing is that the nice part of this movie is that each time we get, and we can talk about this when we talk about antagonists, but every time we get a new episode, the stakes get raised. Every time. So they're constantly yes. in this, we're constantly on this like, okay, well maybe we can, oh no, no, it's worse. Oh no, now it's really worse. You know, so I, I love that journey is that Pinocchio is really um, facing a lot of demons. In some cases, maybe literal demons. Yes. Um, to, sure. to become who he needs to become. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll agree with all of that. So we've talked about the plot. Uh, it's It's been a little bit since we've done a movie where we could talk about the music, uh, uh, specifically the songs. Oh, yeah. And uh, if, you, on this one. if you walk through, you know, Fantasyland at Disney World, you are going to hear all of these songs all of the time. They're there. The, the entire Pinocchio set is is throughout that whole uh, throughout that whole area for sure. Even though they removed the Pinocchio ride from Disney World, I right? Know, I know. Like you'll still hear all of those songs in I Pinocchio. I know, but um, so when you wish upon a star is definitely that song that is it is Disney DNA for sure. If you, uh, I mean, it's at the beginning of every film, every Disney film, we get that reprise of when you wish upon a star, which I think is really the genesis of Disney magic. And in some ways, I think this film's even more magical than Snow White. It just maybe it's because the pacing, maybe it's because I'm never really bored. You know, there's never that moment where we're like, oh, wow, we've been with these dwarves for six minutes now. Um, I never get that. But maybe it's the pacing. Maybe it's the wish granting. Although we get some of that in Snow White, this feels more magical. I mean, there's an actual puppet coming to life. And uh, what can you dream and what can you want? And it just, it feels like we're setting a, a culture with that film, with this film. And you beyond know. that, Andy, in this movie, as opposed to Snow White, the supernatural elements are, are literal forces of good and evil. Oh, absolutely. Where, right. Whereas the evil queen is a bad person. And I have no doubt as to her final resting uh, resting fate. Nothing <laughs> seems orchestrated from above or or from below. Uh, but in this movie, there's there's definitely we're we're in a we're in a war with the adversary oh, uh, no playing out with this puppet and and his father. Um, so no, I I think you're right. There is a stronger supernatural sense here. Yeah, and, and that song that starts the movie, I think it has some like I know the the song you know when you wish upon a star, but it, I looked closer at the lyrics, 
And this movie is really like drives home this, like for me, like fate is woven all through this movie, the idea of fate and the lyrics of the song, you know, fate is kind. She brings to those who, who love the sweet fulfillment of their secret longing, like a bolt out of the blue fate steps in and pulls you through. Like, and that's for me, you know, the blue fairy is there like all the time and things happen just when they need to happen. Uh, You know, Honest John is standing next to the poster of Stromboli when the wooden boy shows up, like the tuna fish swim by the eye of, you know, Monstro right when he needs to wake up, right? Like it's, uh, anyway, I just thought that that song, I didn't realize, because I just think of it being like, you wish upon a star and you get your dreams, but uh, it's not all good, you know, the, the journey there, you know, but anyway. I, no, I, no, uh, I, have, I have the exact same phrase written down. It's my favorite lyric, the fate is kind lyric. Yeah. Um, but but you're right. When you contrast it to the original, the original is just saying, make a wish upon a star and your dream will come true. But that line, fate is kind, it brings to those who love, speaks towards, it's not just like making a wish, but there's a guidance happening. Yeah. Uh, right? It, it, it speaks to, it speaks, now, does the movie of Pinocchio actually operate in a world in which fate is kind that, that's For a question Pinocchio, I it does but yeah. i i'm going to argue a little bit later on that not everybody in this movie gets a happy ending and maybe some people get happy endings who shouldn't get happy endings uh but what <laughs> i well, uh what, I mean, fate is fate is kind, and well, just just a second. So, fate is kind in the sense that fate is generous. But I think there's this emphasis on you have to work for this. You can't lie. You have to be a good person. You have to you have to do it. You have to go to school. You have to do the things that you're supposed to do in order to be working with fate. Although fate's going to give you second chances, as she does in this movie, for sure. I'll, I'll go with that. Um, other songs we want to talk about. Um, you know, so what do we've got? We've got An Actor's Life for Me. Oh, that's so yeah. great. <laughs> uh, which, which feels straight out of um, Broadway musical. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, for sure. I always, I always think like, uh, I always think like that's, that's classic 40s Broadway musical. Let's put on a show kind of song. Oh, for I feel sure. Like it's- um, but, but what's interesting with that song is rather than like in a musical, it's like, great, let's put on a show. Let's do a theater here. It's being it's being subverted a little bit because the song is actually a temptation song as opposed right. to the, the realization of a dream. It's being presented as this is the easy street. This is the easy path. Don't you want to be famous? Uh, so it's this happy, upbeat song that I think successfully seduces the audience, you might come out of the of the movie singing that song. Oh, absolutely. You might even be like, I want to be an actor. How many actors <laughs> sing this song as they walk around, right? Holding right, near right. and dear to their heart. It's so fun. And then, of course, the song I've Got No Strings, I think is so interesting because here's, you know, Pinocchio being held captive by Stromboli. And in this ironic way, he's singing, I've got no strings, but he is, I mean, he's got plenty of strings and he's entangled in a lot of things. So um, it's just kind of a, I love that song. That's like one of my, that's a song that my dad used to sing to me when I was little, which I think is kind of fun. I, so, no, I love that that's one. A great one too. Yeah. I love that one too. And, and just 
I kind of think the whole movie is telling you that we all have strings attached. Like yeah. <laughs> we just kind oh, of have yeah. to. So, so that that's the irony is strong in that song to say, I've got no strings on me when I feel like the movie is kind of saying you got to, we all have strings. Like where are we going to be attached? Right? Like which side, you know, it's kind of like the Bob Dylan, like you're going to serve somebody. That's right. Um, <laughs> So anyway, I, that's a great song. I, I was amazed, and I always am when I see Disney movies, that even if I haven't seen them in so long, I know all the songs. You know, it's so much a part of our culture that, like, they're just in us. Like, when we hear them, we're like, oh, this, I know this song. Like, so It's very anyway. sticky. All the, all the songs are very sticky, aren't they? They stick in there really good. Yeah, agreed. Did we miss any, or are those, are those the only three? They might be the only three. Uh, give a little whistle. Yeah, yeah give a little a whistle. That's right. Which is good. Right. Which of the four songs is the one song you might not hear uh, right. in Disney as you're going through Fantasyland, right? Right, 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 right. It also doesn't seem to work all the time for Pinocchio. No, <laughs> At no point does he whistle. No. He tries with it when he's trapped with Stromboli, but it doesn't, he's not heard. Yeah, that is a that is a bit that I put. There are a couple of setups that don't get paid off, and I think that song is one of them. Because it would be great if he could whistle and Jiminy Cricket would show up, but he never never remembers to do that. So never, not never. once. Nope. All it right. Is, it we... is great to watch a kid learn to whistle, though, because that is yes. exactly how it is when they blow through. They just blow, and <laughs> nothing happens. Although so. you would you would think that Pinocchio, being made of wood and therefore a woodwind musical instrument, <laughs> would be would have an easier time of it. Yeah, but. No dice. But, but for the grace of Geppetto, he might have been um, a panpipe, right? Could have been. Um, so, uh, should we start talking about the characters? Yeah, let's. Let's talk about Pinocchio. Um, Storm, you had some really interesting things to say about Pinocchio when we were talking kind of pre-production and, um, and the idea of Pinocchio being a blank slate. And there were a lot of things. So, I'm just really curious... Um, about your I, thought, you know, just if you've done a deeper dive on that since we've talked. Well, I, I hadn't, uh, I didn't make, I didn't think too much more about it, but I do, I am struck by that in this movie that he's like a completely innocent character. He's born in, 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 into all of this. He didn't ask for it. And he's very much like just going through it and not knowing what is right and wrong. Like, um, it's it really strikes me when he's sitting with Lampwick right before the most horrible thing. He seems like the happiest kid ever. Like he's like so happy and content and I don't know. But yeah, that idea that he is like just, you know, like the block of wood, Geppetto makes him into this puppet. And now he's this sort of blank slate that is just wandering through life. Um but things are happening and he just goes along with them because he's very trusting, right? Like he doesn't know what he should or shouldn't do. He believes everybody. Um, he trusts everybody uh, up until, uh, I guess, uh, he he sees what's really going on with the, the, the kids on Pleasure Island. Yeah, I think oh, Pleasure oh. Island is his wake up moment where he gets to go, oh gosh, maybe some of my actions... When he looks at the cigar, there's this moment where Lampwick starts growing ears and tail, and he looks at his cigar and he's like, "I don't want that," and he throws it away. And it's like, "Oh, well." 
So a storm, what you just said just really upset me. And I don't mean like you upset me, <laughs> but it, tri- it triggered a, a series of things because this is like my lifelong struggle here. So one of the questions I was going to ask is, I don't believe Pinocchio to be a particularly bad kid, right? Like, I know that he's got to earn his realness somehow. Uh, but what you've just said to me really triggers off that the thing about Pinocchio that gets him into trouble is that he believes the best in everyone and accepts everyone on their face value. He's so innocent. He's so guileless. And that the lesson that he needs to learn is to not trust, to be more cynical. And I don't really like that reading no. of the movie because because I don't really believe cynicism. Look, healthy skepticism is by definition healthy. But but that that Pinocchio that Pinocchio is in some ways punished for believing in the goodness of other people. Um, oof, that that is a bitter swill to follow. Well, he just doesn't have a lot of discernment. Bitter pill There's... to swallow. That was me talking like Doc there. <laughs> bitter swill to follow. Bitter pill to swallow. No, I, he just doesn't have um, any discernment. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. Right. And he it's this it is kind of if if okay, there's this father that's talking to me and telling me this. And then there's this cricket that tells me this. And it's like, oh, well, whoever's lately, that's what I'll listen to. And so that it is a learned skill, I think, for I mean, everybody to realize that not not everything is good. But but Andy, are yes. we actually saying Geppetto is a bad father for not preparing his son for the world? I for think just letting just... him out in the house, with, out of the house, with no defenses, <laughs> having never had a conversation. Yes. Mm, you know, him. I think it's <laughs> really awful that Geppetto did not walk his kid to school. But if he had, we would not have this great story. I, I, I'm with you. Plot, plot requires <laughs> right. that, that Pinocchio go off to school on his own. But... But, you know, he's a babe of wood in the woods. <laughs> right. uh, you know, you know, your father is supposed to protect you and prepare you. Well, Geppetto's and never I, fathered. I, I mean, he's an old man, but he's never been a father. And so, so where's that he, he doesn't For Geppetto, know where he learns, we learn, Geppetto does not know how to say no to Pinocchio. Right. He's unable to recognize Pinocchio's flaws. Right. When he sees them, he quickly overlooks them and dismisses them. Right. Geppetto, like Pinocchio, must trust in the goodness of the world. Right. And I believe that about Geppetto. But but it's left Pinocchio unprepared. Pinocchio doesn't need a conscience. He needs a father. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And Jim, and, and a cricket is not a great conscience. <laughs> well, I mean, we can get to Jiminy if you want to get yeah, to Jiminy. Yeah, let's get into Cr- him. Cricket slash grasshopper, I think. Is. <laughs> Fun fact about uh, the original Carlo Collodi uh, Adventures of Pinocchio. About after five minutes of the cricket, who's not called Jiminy, uh, moralizing at Pinocchio and telling him what to do, Pinocchio steps on the cricket and kills him because he's tired of being uh, tired of the righteous attitude. Uh, don't blame him for that. Um, although he is later on haunted by the ghost of the cricket. Who oh, continues wow. to reach on from even beyond the grave? Wow, so he's a uh, sanctimonious so, so bucket there too, will. huh? Great, great, great. How do we feel about Chimney? 
Oh, I think he's adorable, but he's, you know, he's not like we've said, he's not a very good conscience. He doesn't show up on time. He doesn't do what he needs to do. Like, no, you know, he, he doesn't really uh, protect Pinocchio and he doesn't really seem to have much sway over Pinocchio until it's time to unlock him from the cage. And that's, I think, in Stromboli's cart when Pinocchio says, you know, there's this moment where the two of them finally bond over adversity. You know, we I can't get you out of here. What can you know, what can we do? He tries to get, you know, oh, it must be an old model. Can't get he can't get the lock open and there they are together, so they're just sort of stuck. I'm worried that there's something about this movie that's like triggering my cynical side. I'm not a cynical person, At but all. I know what's about to come <laughs> out of my mouth here, which is the thing about Jiminy that bothered me in this version of the movie is how repeatedly, quickly, he gives up on yes. Pinocchio yes. and leaves in disgust. Well, that was my next thought. It's just I that guess he's, he's just, fine. He, I'll just, I'm done. I guess he doesn't need me anymore. Yeah. What if is your that? job is to be someone's conscience, right? Right. Your job is to continue to stick with them when they're doing wrong, not be like, you make me sick. I'm <laughs> disgusted. I'm out of here. That is, that is, that is such Failure. It's and it repeatedly happens. Uh, I, I I have to switch gears because no, I'm is, being too there cynical. Is this, there is this moment though where he says, you know, he goes off to be Pinocchio goes off to be an actor. Jiminy sees him and then he says, "What does an actor need with a conscience anyway?" Which I think is a yeah, great that's a line. funny line. That's a it's funny a super line. funny line. But there is this kind of almost like, well, he's outgrown me. He's he's famous. He's he's successful. Listen to the people applaud. He doesn't need me anymore. And there, there is kind of pity. There is a little bit of self pity there, and but and, in that, on you. well, in that moment, I think Jiminy is no longer acting as the narrator of this film. He's acting. It's weird because he starts acting as the narrator of the film, and then he kind of switches into this. Well, I'm just. It's not you know. I can't do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go I'm gonna on. Switch it's, gears a weird, it's a weird. Feel- it's a weird gear switch for me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I feel like I'm being too cynical, so I'm going to switch what I'm saying about Jiminy, and I'm going to champion him a little bit. <laughs> okay. If we want to say Jiminy has an arc, mm-hmm. maybe what we could say is, initially, Jiminy is having his own crisis, crises of conscience. Oh yeah. Um, where where he gives up too easily when the when the go, when it gets when the job gets too hard, he stops doing the work. Right. But Jiminy is at his best late in the movie, sure. when Pinocchio does the same thing that Geppetto will do later. Geppetto will later say to Pinocchio, go save yourself. Don't worry about me. Pinocchio says to Jiminy, I'm going to go save my father. You've been a great conscience. You can, you can, I free you of it. And Jiminy says, where you go, I go, Pinocchio. Right. Like the, it's harder than it's ever been. And Jiminy's by his side. That's the moment I love Jiminy the be- the most. Well, yeah, definitely some growth. Even yeah. though I'm bait down there, right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with you. Yeah, that's heroic. I like it when I like it when Jiminy's heroic. I like him less when he's on his high horse. Right. But I, right. But I like him when he's willing to sacrifice. Well, and arguably, when he's on his high horse, he's you know he's got a lot to learn as a character because it's easy to preach. It's harder to practice, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, we've kind of talked about Geppetto already. Uh, I want to. I do want to point out that Geppetto is is sort of a grown child, right? Oh, for there's sure. A, there's a sweetness and innocence to him too. 
that that is and what I also like about Geppetto is when Geppetto wishes on the wishing star, there's no bitterness in it, right? No. It's just he, he wants more to love, but it's but it's not like, ah, me, I've wasted my life up until now. It's just like, my life is pretty good. Wouldn't it be better if my Pinocchio was a real boy? And it is, he's sincere and he's earnest. And I, I don't know if you can watch this movie and not love Geppetto. And yeah. not want to protect him. Yeah, for sure. I love the bits with uh, Geppetto and Pinocchio that seem to happen several times where he'll talk to Pinocchio and not realize that he's talking to Pinocchio or, <laughs> you know. Yes. Like it happens like it, when he doesn't know he's, like at the beginning when he doesn't know he's a boy, he's like, oh, it's Pinocchio. And he's like, oh, it's Pinocchio, you know. And then it happens again uh, with the fish and Pinocchio mm-hmm. shown up in the boat. And then again, when Pinocchio is dead, he's like, Oh, what, did, what, you know, he says something to Pinocchio about, well, you're dead, you know, even though he's talking, <laughs> he's talking to him. Right. It's just but, adorable. but that's, yeah, I do. He is, he, you know, full of joy and, and uh, he's creative and artistic and animals love him. Clearly he's got these two little friends, uh, Figaro and, uh, and uh, Cleo, Cleo that, that love him and are always by his side, like even in the belly of the whale, right? Like. So I love Figaro and Cleo. We can go into them a little bit, but Figaro, you know, not wanting to kiss Cleo, not wanting to be affectionate. And then at the end just grabs Cleo and kisses her on the mouth. I think that's really sweet. There's a lot of comic relief in Figaro and there's some jealousy. Figaro is a little jealous of Pinocchio. Um, And Figaro is right to be jealous of Pinocchio. This is something I realized in this version of, of the movie. mm -hmm. Um, Geppetto already has a little boy. And it's Figaro. Yeah. Figaro's got his little boy bed. He sleeps. He, he has Figaro, will you close the window? <laughs> Figaro has been his son this whole time. Mm-hmm. And if the blue fairy came in and she waved her wand and she turned Figaro from a cat into a little boy, um, I don't know that I'd have a problem with that either. Mm. Um, I, I think Figaro very clearly treats uh, Geppetto like like loves him like you would love a father. Right. There, there does seem to be a paternal bond between them. Yeah, for sure. And, and then Cleo is just super fun. She is, you know, yes. although it's really odd, like this has bothered me since I was four years old. So I'm just going to say it out loud. But Cleo being, uh, you know, in a bowl of water and then going under the ocean and then going and stays in her water. I'm like, why don't you just escape? Like, you can leave, <laughs> Cleo. Like, this is, you can swim. Yeah, she's like, always in the Cleo is freshwater oh, goldfish. Oh, she is They're a fresh, that's right. <laughs> she's a freshwater goldfish. Never mind. <laughs> I just cleared up something from your childhood. I know. Yeah, My, yes, I, I I can sleep at night now. This is great. This is great. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm great. telling you, full service podcast. <laughs> this is awesome. That's what we do here. That's folks. what we do. That's right. So, honest John and Gideon. Do you want to? Do you want to oh, get to the blue them fairy? Let's go to the blue fairy first. Sorry, blue fairy. Is she an angel? You guys think she's an angel? She she definitely has godlike powers. She does. I mean, I mean, she comes from the star that's shining. She comes down the 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 virtues that she champions, which are being honest and loyal mm-hmm. and loving. Uh, 
I, I mean, she's got an ethereal quality to her. I, I would, I could easily argue that that she's an angel. I, I, I don't feel like she's from the same place that Flora, Fauna, and Merryweather are from. No, in Sleeping Beauty. No, uh, they're they're from a, they're affiliated with a different organization than the Blue Fairy. <laughs> And she knows things that she can't, like you can't know unless, like she is all. She knows exactly where Geppetto is. Like she knows exactly where Pinocchio is. Like, so she definitely has those that omniscient. Uh, or she's being sent some by somebody, but uh, yeah. So she is is uh, the kind of the. I feel like the most powerful character in this film, and and the one that seemingly is calling the shots. So my favorite. Oh, go ahead. Okay, my favorite and my favorite part and my least favorite part of this movie are when Pinocchio is locked in the cage and the blue fairy comes and she's talking to him and he's lying to her and his nose is growing and she's just letting him lie like she knows that he's lying right if you've ever parented like even a small child who's just figured out oh maybe I can lie um, <laughs> that, that is it's a really sweet moment the moment the thing I hate about it. Is that it never really, I don't feel like that moment pays off with the nose growing. It's like, I want it to like happen again. It should happen. And then we should see, well, what's, how is his nose going to grow again? What's going to happen? But we don't get that either. So that's my other little quibble about this movie um, is that it, his nose only grows once, but yet it becomes when people talk about Pinocchio, we literally associate Pinocchio with lying now. Yeah. I want to, I want to, hit that and then I want to get one more point in about the blue fairy. Okay. But there is sort of like a Mandela effect with the um with the 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 nose growing thing where we we all have a memory of his nose constantly changing size throughout the movie and really it only happens the one time. It only right? happens once, that's right. Um I but like if you told me that I would be like, "Nah, it it, it has to happen all the time." It's constantly getting big and getting but no. Um the other thing I wanted to say about the Blue Fairy is there's a question that this movie raises for me, and I think I've come around to an answer on it, which is if she's going to turn Pinocchio into a walking marionette, where does his, like, and she immediately lectures him about what he has to do to become good. Where does his soul come from? That that she's give, If she can give him a soul, if she can bring a soul to him, why is his soul flawed when created? Why couldn't she just make him good? And I've, I've grappled with this a lot. Like it's, it's, and why, why does Pinocchio have to go through so many more tests when we got somebody like Lampwick? Uh, Lampwick, Lampwick just got born easy peasy, right? right like, right. like what test did Lampwick ever have to pass? In fact, we only see him fail tests uh, over the course of the movie. Um, but I do think I came to a place on it this time, yeah. um, which is, I think, when Geppetto is playing with Pinocchio, he is imbuing Pinocchio with the personality of the child he would like to have. When he plays with Pinocchio, Pinocchio is mischievous. Pinocchio kicks Figaro a little bit playfully. Like, I think Geppetto's ideal son is someone who's mischievous who needs Geppetto to do a little bit of course correction. Like that, that when she brings Pinocchio to life, she brings him to life with the personality that Geppetto has created for him. Ah, interesting. And I, I don't know that that's right, but that's where I landed this, this viewing of the movie. Yeah. 
That's pretty good. I don't know. I mean, that where does our soul come from, I think, is a, is a question that uh, has probably been wrestled with by a lot of people for many thousands of years. <laughs> sure, but when you're a puppet, right. even more so. <laughs> even more so when you're a puppet. That's right. That's right. And so, is uh, he some? Is he somehow like building his soul as he goes, like starting from nothing? I don't. I mean, he right. he he is immediately kind of like he does immediately do some of the things that happened in that dance uh, uh, that you're talking about, Larry. Where you know he sings that little wooden head song, and, and they mm-hmm. do that little dance, and, and yeah. he kick, kicks the uh, or Figaro, and then. Right after Pinocchio comes to life, he is playful in that same manner. I feel like so. You're yeah. So so maybe maybe he's just the son Geppetto would would have had, and and she actually doesn't have the ability to create his personality. Geppetto yeah. did that work, and that that way, kind of Blue Fairy is his mother, giving mm-hmm. him life. But Geppetto has also given qualities to him. Uh, I mean, he's he's done some work that maybe most fathers don't do. He he carved the body, right? Um, and he selected personality traits. But but that it's the two of them working together that have made Pinocchio. It isn't just her. Yeah, for sure. All right, honest John and Gideon. So I will throw out something very funny that Graydon, my my ten uh, year old, said about this movie. Okay, he's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Why is there a fox and a cat walking through town that doesn't fit in this movie? And he goes, and it really doesn't fit because we've seen a cat already, Dad. And, uh, you know, I was like, I don't, you know, of course, my answer was Pluto and Goofy, Pluto and Goofy. <laughs> but he's right. right. I'm, I mean, it is it is sort of jarring tonally that there's a fox and cat walking through town. I'm sure it's like that in the book. But 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 it is. It is strange, isn't it? it is yeah, Andy talked you you talked to me about that earlier this week, Andy. I thought that I was funny. You you were like, "What is it with Disney and these uh <laughs> how, how did you put it?" We were talking about Pluto and Goofy. We were like, "Yeah, cuz they're both dogs, right?" And inf- infamously in the movie Stand by Me, you know, the kids are sitting around this fire and they're all going, "What is Goofy?" <laughs> like, he wears a hat and drives a car. Like you know, Pluto doesn't do that. Oh, what is he? You know, like it's, it's just... Erectus. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> a step on the evolutionary. Ladder. So maybe there's a feline Erectus. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I guess. there's a, maybe there's a, uh, you know, something Figaro could aspire to be if, I don't know. Something. <laughs> Fun fact about Gideon. Uh-huh. Gideon was had dialogue in the original draft of this movie. They recorded dialogue for him and they hired this voice actor named Mel Blank. To oh, yeah. to Famous do method. all of the voice acting for him, uh-huh. and all of Mel Blanc's dialogue was removed, with the exception of a single hiccup. That's all of Mel Blanc in this movie is a single hiccup as Gideon. <laughs> they took it out. That's that's funny. Oh, well, maybe it just wasn't that I, good. I don't. Know. I did like the about Gideon about Gideon though. I did like this Harpo Marx character, right? Oh, for was, sure, uh, for sure. Well, so what what should we say about these two? So Honest um, John to me reminds me of Fagin in Oliver Twist. He sort of has this, you know, way of of uh, talking to Pinocchio and sort of saying, "Oh, you're so bright, and oh, you're a scholar, and look at you." But he's really going to use Pinocchio for his own gain, and that um, that for me 
it felt like I said, it felt like Fagin in in Oliver Twist. But and, I mean, yeah. even Fagin cares about the kids a little bit in Oliver Twist, right? Yeah. Like he, like he's not he's not a great surrogate dad. He's definitely a flawed and selfish character. Right. Um, but honest, honest John, um, I mean, he's a scoundrel. He's a charming scoundrel. Right. He should be up on the stage. He should no, be up on sure. the boards, right? And maybe he couldn't because he never learned to read. So how yeah, did that's he learn what I was going to say. How would he, he didn't learn go to lines? school. <laughs> and so he can't read. There are not a lot of parts written for foxes. Maybe not. I that's mean, pretty- you know, he's like, he's like, I'm here for the role of Romeo. And they're like, uh, you know, no. you, you can't play Romeo. And he's You're like, all right, Mercutio. And they're like, like there, there are no roles for foxes. <laughs> And he and doesn't, like, he doesn't have con, that con it, artist. Yeah. And he doesn't have that it factor of like being a puppet and, you know, a, the wonderkin puppet who, you know, doesn't have any strings and looks awesome. Right. He doesn't have that factor. Uh, he's, he's pitiable, right? There's an honest John kind of pity. Oh, well, I don't pity him. Oh, I, come I, on. You pity, you pity yeah, honest John? I do. I do a little bit. I mean, especially when he starts uh, interacting with the coachman a little bit because the coachman scares him. The coachman scares him, and but Honest John was on board for this job from the beginning. Yeah, we don't see him. He gets scared because, of course, he's dealing with the devil. But he knows that still makes the deal, right? Yeah. Kidnaps Pinocchio, doesn't kidnap Pinocchio, sets Pinocchio up, knowing full well what Pinocchio's fate is going to be. Honest John is awful. I don't know. I just like to think of this alternate universe where. You know, when Honest John was a little guy, you know, somebody would have intervened more in his life so that he would have learned to read and somebody would have taken good, better care of him. You know, it's just me. I have yeah, this he could have very he, he could have very easily ended up on Pleasure Island. That's right. He... That's right. Wow. I did, I, I did not expect you guys to be Honest John apologists. <laughs> um <laughs> Say an apologist. This is, this is I mean, I think he needs to. to I think he, no, I think he needs to pay for his crimes. I think he needs uh, to pay for what he does, and he never really does that in this movie. But um, I do so, think so I have a theory, yeah. and I'm, I'm just going to bring this out right now: that Pinocchio, more than any other movie, for every positive character, there is an evil opposite, nah. and Honest John is Jiminy Cricket's evil opposite. Uh, that works. Yeah. For Honest me. Yeah. John is. Temptation, make the easy choice, go take the easy life, yeah. do what feels good in the moment, don't think about long-term consequences. You even take a look, both he and Jiminy are wearing almost the same style top hat. Interesting. They, they, they both kind of, like, Honest John has his walking stick, but but Jiminy has his little umbrella that works as a walking stick. Literally, literally Honest John, if Jiminy is the angel on the right shoulder— Honest John is the de- is the little devil on the left shoulder saying, nah, come on, this will be more fun. Yeah, that makes this a lot of sense. This will be better. On, uh, I, I would love it, Andy. Yes. I would love it if there was a moment where Honest John said to the coachman, you know what? I'm out. And then maybe that's when the coachman has his transformation and Honest John is sucked back in because he doesn't have the moral strength to go that far. Oh, that would be good, yeah. I would love that little moment. It would change so much of how I see him. Mm-hmm. But he's just he's just scared because he's talking to the devil. He doesn't seem to be appalled at what he's being asked to do. He doesn't ah. seem to be grappling grappling with, 
ah, is, is it really okay to sell a puppet into slavery to a man who's going to transform him into a donkey? <laughs> it, I, because the truth of the matter is, it's so vile an act that he's being asked to do. The fact that we don't see him grappling with it tells me everything I need to know about Honest John. And of course, the most important thing you need to know about Honest John is anyone who tells you that they're that uses the adjective honest to describe themselves. <laughs> Probably is isn't. That's right. I'm really curious. I'm even more curious about that um, dual character, the, you know, the opposite character, because when you're talking, I thought um, Stromboli is sort of the opposite of Geppetto in the, sense 100%. That, in the sense that, you know, they're both puppeteers, right? But Geppetto uses his work for good to make people happy. And Stromboli, you know, exploits people and tr- changes his, puppets into firewood when he's done with them, right? So it's a different... <laughs> well, but it's, <laughs> it's his relationship with the puppets that right. makes him very different from Geppetto. Uh, when when Geppetto gets Pinocchio, he sends him off to school to learn. When Stromboli gets Pinocchio, he locks him in a cage. Right. Uh, Geppetto talks to all of his puppets, the professor, uh, all, all of them, and he you get the sense he loves everything he's carved. And Stromboli, when you're when you're worn out, I turn you into firewood. I I chop you up. He, we see him throw an axe at one, like like uh, he, That's he is. In, and in Geppetto, that, yeah, sorry, go ahead, sorry, Geppetto go ahead. completely guileless. Stromboli, nothing but guile. Ah, so in that, okay, so to carry this even further, then the other. Another pair might be the Blue Fairy and the Coachman. Yes. They are. That's right? the ne- you, are you looking at my notes, Andy? No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just figuring it out true. as I go. <laughs> it's the, anti, have, the anti-fairy. He's the anti-Blue so Fairy. So the Blue Fairy is transforming um, uh, marionettes into boys, mm-hmm. and the Coachman is turning boys into donkeys. They, they are equal and opposite forces. She's blue. He's red, mm-hmm. right? right? Like, like, like. If you told me that they were ancient enemies and had been fighting for the souls of little boys for centuries, you and buy it. Yep. I'm going to tell you, I, I honestly believe this about Love the coachman it. and the blue fairy. Uh, I, I believe the coachman to be a supernatural entity. Um, I believe him to be the devil in this movie, mm-hmm. and he is her opposite. The problem is. And this this bums me out. He is way better at his job than she is in terms of numbers. Quantity. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> oh, sure. And and she, you know, he lures these kids in with, you know, just everything they've ever wanted, just this hedonism, right? And everything they've ever wanted. I mean, they could even take bricks and throw them through stained glass if they want to, right? Um, and then he says, boys, you've had your fun. Now you pay for it, right? Yeah, that is and, the... And that, that is and, the- it is the exact opposite of what the Blue Fairy does, uh, where she says, you know, Geppetto gave to people and his reward is a wish, right? Yeah. So it's the exact, it's turning it, and you get something when you've done something good. Now, you know, you're doing all these awful things and then you have to pay. I mean, it it's is the a Puritan work ethic, right? Yeah, it absolutely is a Puritan work ethic. Storm, you were going to say know. something? Sorry. No, no, I was, I, I'm fine. Um, no, just, yeah, that, that, that is, I agree that the coachman is definitely the opposite of the blue fairy. And, and, uh, I mean, this guy is a child, he's a child, uh, he's a human trafficker. He is, uh, yes. he is like, 
I know there's a better way to sell donkeys than to, you know, this business plan doesn't, doesn't seem like a, like a good one, except for not sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> His <laughs> overhead is like that. He has to reset the house of breakables every night. Oh, yeah. That, and wow, these, post, post show work there. Yeah, this guy and and his like these these featureless wraith like beings that are in service to him. Oh. Uh, so that yeah. And when the when the little when that moment where there are two moments in this movie that make me cry, but one of the mo- moments is when that little donkey starts calling oh, for his yes. mother and says, "You know, I've done this horrible thing. I can't get out of it." Which may- and the shadow, the shadow <laughs> looms. It's awful. No wonder that yeah. scared you, Storm, when you were a kid. No wonder. <laughs> yeah, that 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 whole bit there, and then when Lampwick goes full goes full donkey, it's it's <laughs> like you you watch. What is that called in in a movie when a person transforms into a a a uh, an animal like a werewolf or something? Like this is happening in like this a metamorphosis. Yeah, like yeah. in this kid's movie, this like human is like morphing into a donkey, and he does clearly not want to. You know, he, well, and to he, borrow he doesn't Larry's, get to. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. And to borrow Larry's theory, sorry to interrupt, to borrow his theory, like Lampwick is the opposite of Pinocchio. Yup, that's the next one on my list there, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, either you and I are working together really well, I'm starting to get you. <laughs> but no, but it's, it's true. true. Yeah, yeah. They're equally as gullible, right? Lampwick is equally as gullible as Pinocchio is. But Pinocchio... Lampwick- is what Pinocchio would be, but for Jiminy Cricket oh, and yeah. Geppetto. Oh, absolutely. Um, let, let, you know, Pinocchio would falls in with him for a bit, but he's got he's got a conscience from J- Jiminy Cricket, and he's got the love of a real father figure, and those things keep him from falling to Lampwick's fate. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say Lampwick is a villain; he's obnoxious. Ah. Um, Right, he doesn't do anything truly villainous, um, but but we don't like him, right? No, right, and he's kind of like along those lines. He's like the ghost of the of the Christmas future for uh, for Pinocchio. Yeah, um, but and Lampwick does something at the end which really fascinated me. I, I wanted to get yes. your guys' take on this. He says right before he can't speak anymore that he's been uh, double crossed and framed. Did you guys catch? That he says yeah. those two things. Yeah. I, what what is going on with that? Is that him not admitting that he did anything wrong? Or yeah, there's no very quickly going through the bargaining stage of grief. <laughs> and there's no culpability, the, right? It's somebody else's fault. I this isn't my, my fault. My favorite line, Storm. You missed my favorite line, which is quick, quick, call the cricket. Oh, that's Get true. He does say here that. To help us to save us. He does because say he that. Because he suddenly realizes, as damnation is closing, that the <laughs> the only thing that could save him is this conscience that he's never that he's never paid attention to, um, and and for me, that's the moment. That's the kind of moment that Honest John doesn't have, but Lampwick does get it. Yeah. yeah. And I guess if everybody gets that moment, it isn't as special. But but I would like to believe that that's a sincere moment of self awareness realization that his worldview is wrong and that if only he'd been he'd been guided better or heeded the guidance that was given to him better uh i'm now feeling bad for lampwick yeah Um, it's it's tragic it's i i feel awful for all of those boys 
because they're all being suckered in by somebody who, you know, believe like here, you get to do all these things. Well, that's wonderful, right? I mean, they they brought us here and here it is. And yeah, I mean, and it's this love bombing, right? Um, You know, and we talk about people that are, you know, in cults or whatever. We talk about how groups will love bomb them or whatever. And that's exactly what's going on in this, in this scenario. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah. And by the way, you owe me now. Yeah. I gave you this and now you owe me. Right. Right. Uh, Cool little side, side moment. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, when when Honest John gives Pinocchio the invitation to the coachman, it's really just a card from a deck of cards. Did you notice what card it was? Ace of Spades. And why it's important? Ace of Spades. It's, it's ace of such spades, a subtle right? detail. It's the Ace of Spades. Right. Which in the tarot is death. Oh. I have a dog He knows party. exactly. He knows Honest John knows exactly what card he's given. He's given Pinocchio. He's condemning him. It's the card yeah. of condemnation. That is an interesting. Yeah, I was wondering why it was the Ace of Spades. I actually did think about that, and uh, and uh, also that Pinocchio sees no because he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what the Ace of Spades is, right? right? He just no. takes it and he's like, "Oh, this is my ticket," right? Like he's not like, "No, this is a card." It's a literal sign that this is not the road. But of course, he doesn't know how to read. I don't blame him. Right. Um, you know, it's a great little nod, though. Okay, cool so the, the detail work is fantastic throughout the movie. Oh, fantastic! Um, the cuckoo clocks, the grains of wood, the bubbles, the way the I mean, and this is under I think this is the first time we've ever had anybody try to animate underwater, too, in yeah. the history of cinema. So it's kind of fun, and it, and it looks great. Um, and there's so much little detail work. I in Pleasure Island. If you pick out any one of the little boys who's having an adventure there, like you can follow a little thread of what they're doing when mm-hmm. they're like tearing down yep. the paintings or it's there's so much to watch. You can't even see it all. It's great. It's great. I, I, I had a question about because it seemed on purpose. Right. on When when the coachman is taking the boys, uh, when you're close up with them, they're boys, but they cut to this wide shot. And you see these like faces with these mouths gaping open and they're like featureless. And it's mm-hmm. sort of this horror look on their faces. And obviously they did it on purpose and instead of, because uh, they could have made them all just look normal from a right. distance. So I thought that was an interesting touch of like, maybe just kind of highlighting that this is a horrific thing that's, you know, these boys seemingly are having a good time, but, but uh, they're, you know, sinister forces at work. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's foreshadowing to a degree, right? right for sure. Okay, yeah. so it's time, Larry, for that part of our broadcast, which we always have, called Protagonist Problems. <laughs> and there are some protagonist problems in Pinocchio. I'm not saying Pinocchio doesn't work, because clearly it's a great movie, and it works yes. really well, and we all love it, But um, except for Storm. But maybe you're loving it more now, Storm. I don't know. I definitely, um, <laughs> I'm definitely liking it more. There's, it's very, ri- it's much richer than I, I knew it was. Ah, good. Um, so, protagonist problems. Who is the protagonist of this film? Anybody, any, anybody have any ideas, thoughts? Well, there's, there's two answers that come to mind here. Okay. So, I'm, I'm happy to do the thing we always do, Andy, <laughs> which is I let you pick and then I argue the other one. Okay. I keep vacillating between two different ideas. 
But I really think that the protagonist of this movie is Pinocchio. Um, and I keep, I, at first it's kind of like, well, it's Jiminy Cricket. We start with Jiminy Cricket. We're watching everything from Jiminy Cricket's point of view. But Jiminy Cricket's more the narrator. Um, and while he does have an arc and he does have, a, you know, a change, which we've talked about earlier in this podcast, um, a shift, um, Pinocchio is really the one that has to grow into um, grow into being a, a real person and earn and earn his salvation so to speak yeah so, yeah uh, uh, i mean i i can't i'm, not, I'm gonna argue with you just just because that's that's what please i want to do. do please do but but i'll, I'll argue on your behalf a oh, little good. bit oh, here, good. Andy, yeah. because i think i really i think you're right um because one of the things we look for for the protagonist to do is the protagonist has to have the crisis Right. right. Has to be the person who at the moment of truth makes a decision. And that Pinocchio has that heroic moment uh, where he decides to save Geppetto at the cost of seemingly his own life. Um, that's that is protagonist work. And Pinocchio does that well. But <laughs> he says the thing that Pinocchio does not do well, he is a terrible surrogate for the audience. When you watch Pinocchio, you are not watching the movie through his eyes. You're watching it through Jiminy's eyes, right? Uh, like you, Ideally, when you're watching a movie, you're watching Star Wars. You and Luke Skywalker find out at the exact same moment that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Right. Maybe the second or third time around, you're, you're ahead of Luke on this one. But the first time you watch Empire, you should not know that. And when Luke is dealing with it, you're dealing with it, too. Right. This movie makes us smarter than Pinocchio consistently to the point that when Pinocchio is making a mistake, we don't want him to make it because we know he's choosing wrong. We see the villains for who they are very clearly and very plainly. Mm -hmm. Pinocchio is, he's, he, there's a sweetness to Pinocchio and I like Pinocchio, but I mean, you, you can't get past it. That, that head is full of wood. Right. 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 Like that, that I don't want to be Pinocchio. That leaves me with who do I say the protagonist is? And really, I do think it's Pinocchio. I think the problem is, uh, I'm watching Jiminy Cricket watch the movie. Right. Uh, and that means I'm sort of acting as the second audience. Jiminy is the first audience, and I'm a second audience, which means I'm two degrees removed from where the action is. What are you thinking, Storm? Uh, I go back to the idea of, of fate in this movie, and I feel like you were talking about in the carriage earlier with uh, Stromboli, when they've all they've both given up hope, Andy. You, mm -hmm. you were mentioning that earlier. And so when I thought about it, that's a moment when you realize that their their fates are intertwined, right? Mm -hmm. Both of them are almost like, in that way, equal protagonists because you can't have one without the, like, they they both have to succeed for them both to succeed for this movie to come to a, a, a good conclusion. So, um, you know, they're both hopeless. Their fates are intertwined. The Blue Fairy intervenes for both of them. And so I just thought that was an interesting idea that they are, I feel like, both protagonists and in different ways on their own journey that 
has, you know, they have to be together. Uh, I feel like Pinocchio makes the biggest change because he trans he dies and is born again as a real boy. So that is, but Jiminy gets his, you know, badge. It twinkles like a star. Like, yeah. so anyway, I just thought that was really interesting that the fate, their fates are, you know, locked together. Yeah. I think that's great storm. And I think what, what, like, if I could just take it like a little bit, I, I think what you're saying here is if you package them together as a single protagonist, they are the protagonist. Mm. If mm. you if you literally accept Jiminy as a piece of Pinocchio, that he's just an external manifestation of the real Pinocchio's conscience, I I, I think I think there's something there. Um, it's still problematic to me, but that may very well be the intention of the movie for us to see them that way. Oh, yeah. Well, let's skip down to themes. Let's talk about that for just a little bit. Um, okay. We have. Uh, what do you guys think in terms of themes for this film? I mean, this one really is redemptive love, the mm-hmm. redemptive power of love. It really is. It, I mean, there, there's uh, the, the overall theme of love in literature is love is true when you are willing to make sacrifices for the person that you love. Right. And what we see is finally at the end of this movie Pinocchio is willing to make a sacrifice of himself because he loves Geppetto so much and that love redeems him. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to, it, I, I, I know I always pick that answer. It's okay but, to pick that answer every time if the, if the, if that's the right answer, right? I think it's, I think it is. <laughs> okay. There you go. And we, we see uh, again with Geppetto that, that like the acceptance and the forgiveness, uh, that that happens like when we talked earlier about the the spiritual themes in this there seems to be a little bit of a prodigal son thing going on there with you know he he's turned into a donkey but Geppetto's accepting him anyway and and offers him that grace and love that you know arguably is going to transform Pinocchio into a, a real a real boy so and we d- we didn't mention it but another kind of biblical theme is the idea of monstro i mean he's being swallowed by a whale and if that doesn't yeah yeah jonah if yeah if that isn't jonah i mean that's kind of but it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting jonah because you know geppetto is the one that's getting swallowed by the whale and not pinocchio and pinocchio but, has but to it save is the dark father. midnight of the soul is oh in the for belly sure of the whale, right? for sure that's you know, that's where they come to terms with the fact they may not survive it. And then, and that's where Pinocchio, Pinocchio's really doing his active protagonist work. He comes up with the plan to escape the whale. Yes. Jiminy doesn't do that work and Geppetto doesn't do that work. Um, but, but there is that, that, there is that hope in the pit of despair. Right. Right. Like don't surrender. Right. He literally lights a fire. He sparks the fire of hope for them to escape. I like that. Yeah, and if he had That's never cool. if he had never learned about firewood from Stromboli or never learned about what smoke, you know, how to smoke or to light a, a cigar, he may not have thought of of uh starting that fire there in the belly of the whale. That's good, um, Andy. I was wondering about what the for like he knows how to build a fire to make a, a whale sneeze, and I was a little bit wondering what's the for like wh- how does he know that? What's the foreshadowing? And that you just explained it to me. So oh, thank you. Oh, there. You're welcome. <laughs> One thing that is <laughs> not the theme of this movie uh-huh. is that good will always defeat evil. No, 
because I, I just want to point this out because this is the thing that bothers me about Pinocchio every time I watch it. Every single villain gets away with their crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Honest John and Gideon have sold Pinocchio for, for a bag of gold, and as far as we know, they keep that bag of gold. Yep. Stromboli has made a killing for one night of having Pinocchio, and yes, he loses Pinocchio at the end, but he's better off for having had an experience with Pinocchio than for never having met him. Right. The coachman may have lost this one particular soul, but he's netted dozens of boys and turned them into donkeys and will continue to do so and needs to be stopped. Uh, and he's still out there. And Monstro is still terrorizing people <laughs> and fish in the ocean. Right. Evil is still out there. And I think part of the puritanical outlook here is not that evil is necessarily ever completely destroyed, but that there needs to be a constant vigilance because those evils are loose in the world. Right. You have to, but it certainly is not a foregone conclusion that good will always be evil in this movie. Got that that Leviathan is out there, right? Like, right. Yes. Very Hobbesian, right? <laughs> <laughs> No, there's definitely reward and punishment in this, you know. Um, Yes. It's it's more about your active role in the world. But interestingly, the reward, it seems that they get away. I'm going to... I might I might push back a little bit, Larry. It seems like Go the villains. It, it seems like the villains get away with it. But what do they gain? They gain money, right? They don't gain relationship, and they don't gain love, and they don't gain a family, and they don't gain anybody that really cares about them. They're just gaining, you know, something that's pretty temporal, right? What Pinocchio gains by doing the right thing is he gains a father, he gains his realness, he gains a whole lot. So. I think there is this notion that um, there are sort of these kind of, you can, you know, easy rewards, easy come, easy go rewards. But then there's kind of this long suffering. When you do the right thing, you get you get something a little better. Maybe that's if the idea. If you tell me that none of the villains are happy no. at the end of the movie, I will accept that as an answer. Okay, they're miserable. Oh, but, <laughs> but the difference here, the distinction that I make is... They are perpetrating evils on others. No, oh, sure. And so they are still active out in the world. And they they, they themselves may come to terrible ends, mm. but they're dragging as many people down with them as they can. Yeah. And and that's why I And that's don't why you I be think, one of them, right? That's kind of the lesson. Don't be one that of them, the but be on guard against them. Right, right. They're out there. Right. Another the thing, predatory world, Pinocchio. That's right. It is. It's always a bigger fish. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> there is this notion too of resurrection. So, like in Snow White, Pinocchio is dead, right? And um, again, going back to the Christ metaphor, yeah, born, born virgin birth and then dies and is brought back to life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and even sold for even sold for for money, right? There's, I mean, there's a whole lot that we can. Oh yeah, the bag of. But Pinocchio being being dead and then resurrected into something that's even better than before. I mean, we even have a dove coming down with a message, right? I'm there's yeah. definitely a, yeah. a Holy Spirit metaphor. I, I I I think you can't get away. I don't think we're projecting anything into it. I no, think it's I don't there. either. I think it's there too, for sure. All right, pitch time. So as of March uh, 2021, 20, so it's a couple months ago, I guess, 
Disney's doing a live action CGI Pinocchio with Robert Zemeckis um, signing on to direct. And Tom Hanks is on the cast list. I think he's going to be Geppetto. Um, and there have been dozens of live action and even animated Pinocchio features that have been made. I think there's even another one coming out um, pretty soon. But what would we do with the source material? Would we reimagine it? Would we make a sequel? What do you guys think? You guys go and I'll go. I'll go last. So I have two. Okay. Um, so uh, one of them would be I want um, Pinocchio as an adult uh, to start being like there's a coachman out there and he's got to be stopped. Yeah. Like like as an adult, he's looking for other children to protect them from the coachman. Mm. Right. Uh, like like we, we transform him to sort of like an action hero. I think you could get a whole movie out of like he's like, I've been chasing the coachman my entire life. You're lying about the coachman. Listen, kid, I never lie. See the nose on my face? I love it. You know if I was lying. Love it. Um, so so I like that. But uh, uh, more in the spirit of Pinocchio, and it's something I think Disney would be more likely to do, is a midquel. I want Pinocchio's first day at school. Mm. I want to see him as a puppet making friends with the other with the other kids. He's a little different. How does the teacher interact with him? What is Geppetto's Meet the Teacher Night like? Right? Do the, the other kids accept Pinocchio <laughs> as a kid, or does he feel othered? <laughs> right? Pinocchio, ah. We could make a metaphor here that Pinocchio is not physically in the body that he wants to be in, mm. and he needs to get the other the other kids to see him for who he really is. They're they're focused on the wrong things externally, and I I honestly think we've we've talked about this message before in other places, but I, I think with Pinocchio you can do it. It might be a little on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Larry. <laughs> I apologize to everyone everywhere for that. <laughs> I think it's awesome. I don't think any apologies are necessary. What, well, do, you what do you think, Storm? Well, I have a, a, both of these are, you know, helping me deal with my childhood trauma. I also have two. Uh, one is very much like Larry's. My first one is is kind of a joke as the this big action revenge thriller, Pinocchio 2, uh, The Return to Pleasure Island. And uh, Pinocchio is back, and he's pissed off, right? He's going <laughs> to right some wrongs, and uh, the coachman is going gonna, is gonna to pay. So where Larry's was a little more like pursuit of the coachman, mine's more he's just going to go blow it up, right? And uh, it's awesome. more of a, more of a uh, Stallone or uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger type, you know, maybe a John Wick type of uh, action thriller. Uh, and the other one, dealing with what I feel like is – uh, the scary part of the movie, the, the thing that happens to all these boys, is is a uh, a grown Pinocchio starts a home for wayward kids. Right? He's gonna ah. he's he's gonna help kids like Lampwick deal with their issues, heal from their issues. He's gonna uh, imbue this place with what he learned from his father. It's gonna be full of you know kindness and magic and wonder, and he's gonna name it after Geppetto. So, oh wow. Um, <laughs> you know, that's those are my two, the the redempt, re, redemption and revenge. Those I love it. Me. Great title for a movie, Geppetto's <laughs> Home for Wayward Boys. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So I'm really interested in the life of Kaladi, 
And I'm really interested in so this book. When I started doing a little digging, like he, this was a very well-known book. I mean, like a, children had read this book. And so I'm interested in how his stories were received in, um, in his home country of Italy and why he felt, felt compelled to write them in that particular time period, because Italy was going through a whole lot of turmoil and political upheaval when he's writing. And I'm just kind of thinking about kind of a save the, saving Mr. Banks kind of vein, just wondering who Kaladi was trying to save um, when and what he wanted to see come to life and be resurrected. So just some thoughts I had there. Nothing, nothing, nothing as good as yours, but just a thought. That'd be cool. Yeah. None of us wanted to do a Jiminy Cricket prequel. No. I find that interesting. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. I forgot all about him. No. Yeah. No, I don't want to see it either. No. <laughs> I'm sure there's a story there. Not I'm, for me. Yeah, I'm sure. It's really funny. Well, um, Storm, we to wrap up a little bit, Can I was wondering if maybe you could take a minute and tell us a little bit about the work that you do um, with uh, Feed the Children, because I know it's such a big, um, a big thing right now, and it's something that's on my heart, uh, particularly just in thinking about all the suffering and things that have gone on this year, and um, just thinking about your organization. Is there anything that, um, what are you all up to over there? Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, Andy. Yeah, at, at Feed the Children, we uh, we are a, a charity that is both domestic and international. So we help uh, families in the U.S. and uh, are also in uh, nine countries overseas. And uh, you know, as you just said, the pandemic has been has hit a lot of families really hard. I think at some point during this, uh, the number went as high as one in four uh, children. Uh, in the U.S. are like food insecure. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, the number is around one or one in six or one in seven. But it, I think during the middle of this, it got as high as like one in four. Wow! Uh, to where they don't necessarily know where their next meal is coming from all the time. And so, um, our mission, sort of goal, is to try to make sure that no child goes to bed hungry. And uh, to do that, we help uh, put large companies. Uh, they donate a lot of product and things, and we distribute that product to food banks all over the country. We, uh, you know, try to keep them different uh, food banks supplied with food and resources, essentials as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, SNAP benefits, people may or may not know, don't let you buy uh, things like shampoo or laundry detergent or uh, different essentials that are the coveted you need toilet soap, paper, right? Toilet paper, <laughs> right? Diapers, you know, right. like all these things. And uh, so we provide that as well. And, um, and then in the different countries we're in, um, we feed kids at school. We, we try to build sustainable uh, things in communities where, where they can grow their, have their own gardens in their homes, at their schools, in their communities, um, educate mothers on things like breastfeeding, get proper nutrition for kids, all with the focus of building it to where they're in their communities doing it, you know. For themselves. So, I love it. what I do is I shoot and uh, produce and edit uh, video for Feed the Children to try to help raise funds for what I think is a really good cause. And uh, it's a really good company to work for. And I know they would appreciate any support anybody could get could give them. They you can find them at feedthechildren.org if anybody's interested in learning more. Awesome. 
Thank you. Thanks for the work that you do there. I know it's a big, I know you and I've talked a, a number of times about how important that work is to you. And um, I'm just tickled that you're doing it. So it's awesome. So this has been Once Upon a Disney, uh, our podcast, and you can find us on us on our Facebook page, Once Upon a Disney podcast, and on Twitter at, at Andy Redwine and at Larry Brenner 6. And oh, if you should have a pressing question for us to answer, you can always drop an email into our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney podcast at gmail.com. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about... What movie, Larry? The Sword in the Stone. Ooh, have you ever seen the kid pull the sword out of the stone at Disney World? I have never, and I desperately <laughs> want to see it's it. It's so cool. You should say, oh, I can't wait. No, I have not, I have not uh, gotten to see that either. Oh, it's really fun. I Yeah, it's good. So, um, I Storm, it's been a pleasure having you here. Yeah, it's and great to see you. you. And Yeah, it's neat to catch up and talk about a movie. We haven't done that in a while. And uh, Larry... Uh, as usual. Always great to see you too. Yeah, we'll see you real soon. See you real soon. Bye-bye.